0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the New Majority Investor Circle podcast, a podcast for everyday new majority investors looking to invest in founders who look like them. At the New Majority, we scan the top equity crowdfunding platforms for new majority founders, founders who identify as women, BIPOC, or LGBTQ. Every founder we feature is from underrepresented communities, building a company with a for-profit business model has impact built in as measured by the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And of course, they're currently fundraising from you. Our mission is to close the racial and gender wealth gap through entrepreneurship and investing. With this podcast, we hope to give you a better understanding of who you're trusting your money with and how these founders aim to use your funds to have a broader impact on society while building upside. On this episode, we are excited to hear from one of our past featured founders for an update to those within the New Majority Investor Circle who invested and hear what they, where they're at post-raise with milestones, reflections on the raise, and what's next. So today's guest is Gary Johnson III, founder and managing partner of Bison Venture Partners, a suite of companies and brands sourcing capital for New Majority Founders. We featured Gary and Bison Venture Partners in our October 2022 edition when they were raising on WeFunder. A unique call-out is that Bison Venture Partners raised through a revenue share loan rather than a crowd note or a safe, as we've often seen on equity crowdfunding platforms. As most of our listeners will know, and members of the New Majority Investor Circle well, know we focus on equity crowdfunding. So equity crowdfunding is a financing mechanism where you are fundraising from non-accredited, typically non-accredited investors um, in exchange for equity. Vice and Venture Partners campaign offered a revenue share on an equity crowdfunding platform. So revenue share allows companies to actually share their success with stakeholders by promising a percentage of that company's revenue as a return on your investment. So it acts a little bit like debt and that you're getting regular payments. And it's typically though at a much higher discount or interest rate than you would get for for maybe a normal debt crowdfunding site. They closed out their raise in October with over 50,000 raised across 165 unique investors, including myself. So with that disclosure, I'd like to say welcome, Gary, to the New Majority Investor Circle podcast. We were so excited to feature you last October and are looking forward to hearing where Vice Vice and Venture Partners is today.
1: Thank you, Mackenzie. I'm excited to be here. Grateful for your support, grateful for your investment, amplification, and yeah, excited to talk about everything we've been up to.
0: Excellent. Okay. So for those who are new to the podcast or the New Majority Investor Circle, can you give your 30-second elevator pitch on Bison Venture Partners?
1: Sure. Bison Venture Partners is a company I started alongside my classmates at Howard University Uh, We came together um, striving to get our MBAs and rather than waiting to graduate and create the impact we wanted to see in our communities, decided to do it together while we were in school. So uh, through our company, we help small business owners and uh, technology startup founders get access to resources to be able to scale their products and services. And then we empower our community to become owners in those companies through equity crowdfunding investments.
0: I love that. Okay. And so to all of our audience, you know, Gary and I have met several times before, including last week uh, at the New Majority Investor Circle event. We hosted in partnership with ARP. It was called Fundraising for Founders, Community Crowds and Capital. Of course, Gary was on that panel. Um, and when we first met, it was because I was talking about equity crowdfunding at the Unfinished Conference, which was really focused on the impact of tech on civic lives. And I had just decided to write my master's in public policy thesis on equity crowdfunding and the entrepreneurship rates amongst women and people of color. And there was another Howard MBA student there. And he was like, if you love equity crowdfunding, you need to talk to Gary because he loves equity crowdfunding. Mm -hmm. So. Normally, you know, on these episodes, we really start off with you know a company update. But given your passion for equity crowdfunding, how you've raised from it, you've pulled into the model. I really wanted to start there. So, why did you choose to raise for Bison Venture Partners through equity crowdfunding? Talk us through your thought process.
1: Yeah, like you said, like I really do love the model. I love the opportunities that equity crowdfunding uh, create for our communities, and it was something that. I was already leveraging personally. Um, so, you know, I, I actually got my start in this space by investing in Backstage Capital, which is a VC firm that that raised on Republic. And that investment was the first private investment I ever made, right? Like I really wasn't even investing in stocks or anything, you know, like that. Um, sort of freshly out of college, right? Like went directly from my undergrad degree to a master's degree. Um, and was still trying to figure things out for myself. Pandemic hit and all, um, but during the pandemic is when Backstage had this like monumental raise and just changed the game and helped so many new people see that you can be an owner at, um, in this space, right? Even if you don't come from a traditional background, if you didn't grow up in Silicon Valley or go to an Ivy League school, right? You can have equity and ownership um, in the VC space and in the startup space. So. Um, I was investing in some deals here and there, but like I said, Backstage was my first. And then um, just after learning from Arlen directly, um, started leveraging equity crowdfunding to help other entrepreneurs realize that they could raise the funds that they needed for their growth capital, right? Because I was already supporting startup founders. I was already an educator. I I organized um, accelerator programs, host pitch competitions, and a lot of people just default to thinking you have to raise from angels and VCs but you know equity crowdfunding has changed the game and it's an, it's another way that you can raise funds maybe even in tandem with your traditional VC raise right so i had become a venture partner with wefunder uh, shortly before deciding to go to howard
0: a venture partner works with WeFunder to provide a pipeline of companies looking to raise through equity crowdfunding. So WeFunder did have this program, both Star Engine and Republic have similar programs.
1: And um, through that opportunity, I was just able to learn from the WeFunder team directly, um, you know, how this whole equity crowdfunding thing really works, um, how we can come together and really empower our communities regardless of where we're based geographically, Um, And I got to collaborate with other venture partners in other states across the country. So um, I was actively like sourcing founders to raise on WeFunder. Um, And I started to get really good at just, you know, having an eye for what types of companies might do well, which ones might not do so well. But most importantly, like how can a company get ready to raise? on on WeFunder or any platform of their choice, right? So, you know, that's when we ended up just testing the waters on a campaign and, you know, momentum sort of picked up and we just, we leaned into it.
0: I love that. Okay, and we're going to go into the campaign. But since you brought it up, I wanted to dig a little bit more into you as an investor. And then we'll talk about you as the founder and vice venture partners, which is why we're here. But asking you a couple questions that normally I would reserve for our new majority investor circle members, who are the investors, right? So you're sitting on both sides of the table. And I want to hear a little bit more about where you think of equity crowdfunding and how it fits within your personal portfolio. So I think it's really interesting that you invested in private companies basically before you invested in public companies, which is pretty much the default option that I would say most people think of when they think of investing.
1: Mm-hmm. Let's see. So just for me being an investor, like it's it's really just about ownership for me and What I've seen and experienced just being in the startup space is people that look like us, you know, all of us new majority founders and Mm -hmm. investors Mm -hmm. um, don't have equity in this ecosystem. And I just work with so many founders who are always struggling to get access to resources and we're always like trying to raise VC money, we're trying to get into these accelerators. And it's like, you know, that saying about doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results where we keep seeing the data, the reports come out every year about the lack of funding going to people of color and women entrepreneurs. And I'm just not one to sit back and complain. I'm like, okay, well, what do we do about it? And just equity crowdfunding just makes the most sense because it's just opening up the opportunity to raise funds from still angel investors, but people who maybe only have hundred dollars, right? They believe in you more than a VC does or a wealthy individual does, uh, and th- but this is what they're able to contribute today. So I'm now able to invest in the same companies that I'm working with day to day, right? Whether it's just through mentorship or through you know, coaching at an accelerator program or helping founders get ready to pitch somewhere, right? Like now I have a tangible way to get on the cap table, right? In a way that's just accessible you know, as I've been in the space, I've just come to learn that there are so many different ways to have equity in these different startups, right? And be a part of the journey. And that just gives you a lot of pride, right? Because you you put in a lot of time to helping founders, but it's also like you just believe in them, right? And you want to be a part of their long-term success, especially if if you believe that you're going to help them secure VC funding, that means that you believe that they're going to create a venture scale return, right? And make potentially wealthy people, even wealthier. So why would you not want to have a seat at that table?
0: Yeah, well, it also really just talking about like for venture capital, it provides, it makes that sure that you've got incentive alignment as well, right? Yep. Um, and so you're helping both with your financial capital, but also your professional skills, social capital, additional. So mm-hmm. we're going to, we'll, we'll loop back to that. Sure. <laughs> but I wanted to talk a little bit about through the equity crowdfunding, since you did start off on the investor side and now you're on the founder side, what was it like to be on, you know, quote the other side of the table? Anything that you want to share with the new majority investor circle members around what it's like to be a new majority founder who is raising through equity crowdfunding?
1: Yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> a lot, a lot. I think, I think the best investors are either currently or were previously entrepreneurs right? Who've, who've gone through the gauntlet of having to raise money and of, of having to galvanize a community to, to come and support them, right? Uh, because then you truly understand. And I think until you understand, you can't like really, really help in a way that's the most meaningful. So um, it was hard. It was very hard raising money. Like $50,000 was actually the, that's the minimum amount that these platforms will allow you to or they require you to raise to be able to keep any of your money, right? So for us, you know, we launched this testing the waters campaign, which just meant, you know, this is not an official raise just yet. We're just gauging the interest of our community. And to be honest, when we put it out there, right, it was really just like, it was a pitch deck, right? We were generating revenue just through like selling t-shirts and selling coffee sort of as like a, you know, sort of side revenue stream. But we were trying to paint this bigger picture of like what we were truly trying to create. And it was truly an example of one, this is, this is what it means to be like backing a founder, not necessarily like a company, right. And backing a team that's, that's coming together to achieve this, this mission and vision. And, you know, we didn't have a lot of like data to go off of in regards to like revenue. Right. So when we launched this campaign, it was really us trying to figure things out. Still, we weren't sure if like selling equity in the company would even be appealing because, it's like the company's not worth anything today, right? It's worth mm-hmm. just what we've put in financially to get it started, which is like a couple hundred dollars. We've got our sweat equity, of course, but to get it off the ground, is like there's, there's not a lot of financial capital going in just yet.
0: And for those who haven't heard of sweat equity, this often refers to a person or a company's contribution towards a business through physical labor, mental effort, and time versus capital equity, where you're actually buying into the business with money.
1: Part of our... Mission and strategy with this business is actually educating our community that one, they can do it too, but also, like, with everything that we do, we're going to be bringing them along this journey and helping them see, like, this is how you, even if we're your first investment, your first private investment, right? We want you to build a portfolio of of companies. So, we're going to model that and create tangible ways for you to be able to do it with us as a collective. We had to hit $50,000 in commitments non-binding commitments to be able to file our paperwork with the SEC, right? So again, like just pitching this business, just like it's a, you know, venture backable startup. We're doing the whole circuit, getting invited to uh, panels and things like that. Um, You know, we're not a traditional tech startup, right? So it's like uh, pitch competitions weren't really relevant to us. They weren't gonna accept us because that's not the type of company we're building.
0: You'll often hear the term venture-backable startup thrown around. And what does this actually mean? A venture-backable startup is a company where the business model, the technology, have the potential to generate significantly outsized returns. So thinking at least a 10x return on investment over an accelerated time period, generally four to seven years and in order to have this sort of return you really need to have a large market opportunity and rapid growth and that's why we're generally seeing saas or tech based companies that are venture backable
1: but we just had to find like creative ways to have you know opportunities opportunities to share our story and get ourselves out there so um we thought that we'd be able to raise in like 4 to 6 months in reality it took us let's see it took us from october of what 2020 one through April of 2022 to raise the 50 thousand in commitments, <laughs> and then be able to file our paperwork with the SEC. Then we funder let us um, officially raise, right? And then we had to go back to those same commitments, those committed investors, and say, "Hey, we've you know finalized our, our deal terms. We decided to go for a revenue share loan as opposed to selling equity because the revenue share loan." Um allows us to really focus on generating revenue, one. And then literally every quarter, uh, we allocate a percentage of our revenue to repaying our investors until they get paid back their investment times a multiple. right? So it felt like that was the best way to align all parties in a way that was fair um, and wasn't too hard to understand. A few challenges, a lot of challenges came up throughout that journey. Uh, I will say one was actually, uh, it was actually totally out of our control. But at one point, the WeFunder platform like deleted our campaign. So like on the back end, looking at our campaign, like we had zero dollars committed. Like we had worked super hard to get to like 30K and all of a sudden like it was all gone. And for a while there, like for like a day, it was like, all right, like I think we're just gonna call it quits. <laughs> like that's yeah, just maybe this just isn't for us. So that happened. Like I said, it was taking longer to raise than we than we expected. Um, at one point, like no new investments came in for like weeks, right? But we didn't give up. We didn't give up. We kept we we stuck at it. Um, kept telling the story, telling the the vision, and you know people slowly but sh- surely um, a- attached to it and backed us. So. It was in October of 2022 when we were able to um, finalize the campaign. We raised about 52000 um, from 165 or so investors. And we are grateful for all of them. Some of them were like, <laughs> some of them were like, hey, when are you going to close this campaign so that, you know, you can start putting my money to work? Others were like, like after we close the campaign coming to us and saying, Hey, can we still invest? And we're like, you know, we've only been at it for a year now telling you, you know, keep, you know, uh, get in while you can type of thing. But yeah, so it's, it's a long arduous journey. You really can't plan for how long it will take. So, you know, for investors who are looking to back founders, or if you've already backed founders, just realize that, you know, they're, fundraising, which is a full-time job, in addition to building the business, you know, operating the business, which is a full-time job. So a lot to do at once. So I, I think just give founders some grace from that respect. Yeah. I think that's my biggest, biggest lesson for investors.
0: Yeah. I think that's really interesting one. It sounds like the campaign for like to raise the money of mirrored maybe like the founder's journey of some extreme highs and extreme lows and you never know what's coming around the next corner but you're just Mm -hmm. kind of trying to keep going right just keep on persisting because you Uh, never know what's around the next yep and then it sounds like i mean i think that's why you know we started the new majority right is so that We could lift up new majority founders who are raising on these platforms and shine a light on them, especially we're looking at not just new majority founded companies, but companies that also have a broader kind of mission or impact to to do better in the Mm. world, right? Um, and so with the new majority investor circle, we're really trying to either kickstart that campaign or close it out with a bang so that you can get back to the actual business of putting that money to work and building mm-hmm. the business. So
1: yep.
0: um, I that resonates with with me as a founder, but also me as, as a new majority investor.
1: Absolutely. And I'll say this too, like our goal was 250000 Right, so we were trying to trying to raise a significant amount of money. We hit the minimum, which is great. Like we were just happy. <laughs> we were just happy to be able to close it successfully. Um, but one of the other things, you know, I think that that investors should realize is like, okay, founders are raising this money, and you know, the investors, if you really want this campaign to succeed, like you truly do need to be a value add and like share the campaign. Right, like share it with your network, get others to come and check it out. Tell them why you invested. You know, tell them to do their own due diligence and all that kind of good stuff. But, but founders really need your help to, you know, to spread the word. And just you know, one other uh, low <laughs> that happened was we didn't account for people canceling their investments. Mm-hmm. So like you'll get a really high high of like like there was this one time where somebody invested five thousand dollars. Right, we're like, oh man, this is amazing. Like we're we're going to crush this campaign and then the next day they canceled their investment and then it was like we were low again it was like oh like back to the drawing board you know so it's li- it's really like that every single day but you know how investors can make it easier is just amplifying the message
0: yeah and i think that's interesting i mean i think it's something from equity crowdfunding as we see it becomes it'll become more and more mainstream i think you'll see probably those swings get bigger, right? Mm -hmm. So there'll be more people coming in, but also you'll have people perhaps changing their minds, right? Or deciding like, is this the right investment for my portfolio at this time? And I think it's interesting when you said about, you know, the minimum of 50,000 versus, you know, your goal of 250,000. So talk to us a little bit about what your goals were, right? So when you are fundraising, you're not just picking that number out of thin air, right? There's some intention behind Why do you need the money? Why did you choose to go find that money through equity crowdfunding, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And what were what's the goal? Because obviously you're trying to take the money in to accelerate the business to get to that next level of growth, which will then either pay out to the to the investors who did the revenue share loans, um, or you'll keep that capital within to build to the next level. So, what were kind of the milestones for the fifty thousand that uh, you did raise? Um, And maybe just for, for comparisons perspective for our audience, you know, what would the milestones have been with the 250 and kind of walk us through how you still plan to achieve those milestones, knowing though, that you've only got 50, 52 to work with right now.
1: So we had this original vision of sort of like leveraging equity crowdfunding to empower our community. And I believe I'm the only one on my team that was like really, you know, in the space, prior to Bison Venture Partners. So even mm. I was educating my team about, you know, here's the opportunity, here's what we can do with this. So I had invested in um, a smart vending machine company on Start Engine, uh, prior to, and, you know, through Bison Venture Partners or BVP as we call it, we wanted to say, okay, let's act as investors, but then also partner with these businesses To help them grow and scale, right? Like not just invest our money and then sit back and wait for a return, but can we invest in black owned businesses and woman owned businesses and then help them grow and succeed? Like, okay, we invested in that company. Can we buy the vending machine that they sell? Right. And can we use that vending machine as a way to amplify other like CPG, you know, brands and products, consumer packaged goods, that are founded by HBCU students and alumni. Let's create the thing that allows us to amplify so many other entrepreneurs. With about, it it will cost about 25 to $30,000 to get our hands on that first machine. So we're like, let's let's raise money to get our first machine. So that was like the minimum thing. It was like, all right, can we raise the minimum amount of money and use that to buy a machine? But if we're able to raise 250, and we chose 250 because It was sort of high end of the lowest part of like the investment campaign spectrum on WeFunder because when you're between 50,000 and 250, you don't have to go through the whole process of paying for an accounting firm to do a whole audit, right? Which costs money that we don't have, right? So we're like, okay, we can't afford all of that. So let's do what we can, raise a good amount of money now, right? That'll allow us to get into business scale up a little bit and then eventually be able to afford those things. So if we wanted to do a million dollar raise, we could afford the accounting firm, but we couldn't afford that right now. So with 250,000, we're like, okay, instead of just getting one machine, we could operate several machines and place them strategically, you know, in like different areas where HBCUs are prevalent, right? So we wanted to have one in Florida. We wanted to have one in Atlanta, right? We even wanted to have one in Texas. And then of course, DC. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to again sort of use these machines as ways to amplify brands that are founded by, you know, students and alumni coming from those universities. Mm-hmm. Learned a lot through doing that, right? Like for one, um, we, we placed a deposit, like even before raising money, right? Like did we have skin in the game, had skin in the game, put a deposit on a machine with everything going on with like supply chain issues and just other issues, even with like the risks of investing in a company, right? Like the company we initially invested in started to not do so great, right? And then we had to start thinking, okay, well, does it actually make sense for us to make such a big bet on that technology? And at the time it didn't. And I I think that was a good choice for us. Um, So that money has sort of changed in regards to like our strategy, our focus. We weren't even accounting for like paying people on the team Right, it's like we need to hustle. We need to just like do what we. This is not
0: for personnel. uh, This was for investment into product and the 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 revenue generating mechanism. Yes,
1: revenue generating activities. That's what we Mm -hmm. need because we are in debt to our community now. Right, like if we're Mm -hmm. raising money from the crowd, we're telling them, you know, our deal was it's six percent of our quarterly revenues, and it's a two x multiple. So you're gonna get paid back in quarterly installments every quarter until you get 2x your investment. So if you invested $100, we owe you 200. So our money has has had to go into revenue generating activity. So we can get into how we've shifted focus and sort of like, you know, invested in still automation, right? It's still a part of our strategy, mm-hmm. still supporting other brands just in a different way than we initially sought out to.
0: Got it. Okay, so originally the the 50 to 250,000 was for the the pop shop, right? Um, vending machines mm-hmm. so with the shift kind of what is and and for our listeners right we're recording this at the end of April so it's about six months mm-hmm. almost exactly but about six months um from the close of the fundraising round so what have you invested internally in thus far and then what 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 is what was like plan B basically and where do you see plan B um taking you to say another six months
1: yeah so I'll say, Plan A is always the big goals, right? It's like our our big vision, which is, you know, sourcing that hundred million to black owned businesses, you know, specifically supporting 1000 woman owned businesses, helping to create 1000 new jobs and educating 10,000 new angel investors, right? Like that's plan A, how we achieve plan A, you know, is, is up to our creativity, right? So we, we outlined our overall strategy on our campaign you know, the vending machine was like one strategy where we have this physical distribution channel. But in addition to that, we have our e-commerce store, right? So at the time we just called it Bison Shop. It's since rebranded, but it's become a BVP Coffee Co. Where um, again, we have a product, we're selling it uh, through e-commerce and still achieving our mission of amplifying other student entrepreneurs because we donate a dollar from every bag sold to HBCU student scholarships and initiatives. And then we have sort of like this model, we're, we're still trying to perfect, but creating a way for students to still own their own franchise, right? And help us sell more coffee, but they own their own franchise of, of the coffee themselves. More on that to come, um, but that's what the vending machines were supposed to be, right? It was like, can we put something on a college campus that gives students agency and ownership to say, I can operate this thing. Maybe I don't have my own entrepreneurial idea right now, but I can get hands-on experience of what it means to, you know, to, to restock the machine, to run data analytics on the, on the end, Right. To understand like what types of products are our, our customers are looking for and requesting. So, so we're doing that. We're still doing that just in a different way. So, out, yeah. And then outside of that, we, do deal sourcing and we invest ourselves. So deal sourcing is just being like a venture scout for VC firms. So there's actually a company based in Miami, it's called Kitty Credit. We connected them with a firm based here in Philadelphia that's called Plainsight Capital. Plainsight Capital ended up writing a $100,000 investment into Kitty Credit, right? So we have an agreement where we receive carried interest in that deal.
0: As a quick note, we're saying carried interest. Carried interest is like a performance fee. There's a share of profits to an investment manager that actually enhances performance. So for example, when Bison Ventures helped Kitty Credit, they received a share of profits because they really helped enhance and grow Kitty Credit's performance. And while there's typically a management fee for funds, BC firms, that's generally 2 to 2.5% of the fund that they actually raise. And this will pay for operating costs, salaries. But the profit for VC firms, where the real money comes from, is really from carried interest, where there's theoretically an unlimited upside.
1: Right. So we didn't have to we didn't have to raise a hundred thousand to invest ourselves, but we're still able to help that black-owned startup get investment capital needed to grow. We helped that VC firm, right, find the type of company that would fit its portfolio, and it was a win-win all around. So um, that's a longer-term bet, but. You know, we believe Kitty Credit will be successful. So when it goes on to repay its in, its investors, right, we will be included in that. And our investors will be included in that. We think about job creation, right? Like we're able, we as a business, right, can leverage equity crowdfunding and invest in campaigns. You know, we've done a few different things. Um, one, investing in Arlen Hamilton's company, Runner, which um, connects early stage startups or even even larger companies, but with with like temporary talent right? And it's a really diverse talent pool, which is pretty cool. Um, So her company is doing really well. And it was kind of like a full circle moment, you know, like, um, like I said, Backstage was the first company I invested in, which Arlen is the owner of, I was able to invest into her new startup, right? It was actually a tech startup. So that was pretty cool, but it fits our sort of thesis and focus area of job creation.
0: As a quick note, the Bison Ventures partners at We Black Unicorns brand was featured by the founder of Backstage Capital, Arlen Hamilton, who is a rock star in her own right. So Backstage Capital is a fund that invests in, quote, underestimated founders, and quote, defined as women, people of color, and members of the LGBT community. Sound familiar? So to date, Backstage Capital has raised more than $15 million and has invested in over 150 startups
1: and venture partners also invested in WeFunder, right? So WeFunder did an equity crowdfunding raise. So we have equity in WeFunder itself. So now this platform that we're helping other founders um, see as a viable, you know, fundraising tool, again, like we have equity in this ecosystem. So it's more of an incentive. And if WeFunder ever, you know, becomes acquired or IPOs or whatever it is, right, we'll have a, a financial benefit. And again, our our investors benefit. So we've diversified ourselves in a few different ways. Um, Leveraging tech is a really, really big thing for us and leveraging other people's technology has been great. One more example I'll give is um, Substack is actually currently raising. um, Substack is like a newsletter platform. It's pretty powerful. We write deal memos, right? One for our team just to check out like, hey, here's a deal, like, should we look into this as individuals? Should we invest as a business? And then we share the memo with our community. Uh, but Substack is one of those deals where we said, you know what, we're going to back this deal. And it makes sense for us because we write our newsletter on the platform. And we also have sort of like this ebook and audio experience that, that I author called The Ghetto VC. And sales from that publication go to Bison Venture Partners, right? So we have like different things set up to generate revenue, recurring revenue in a lot of cases and just leveraging software, leveraging technology. So what I think I have to get better at, especially in communicating to our investors is just like, like this update, right? It's like telling that story of how and why we pivot, right? The mission is still the same. Like we're still really doing the same thing just in a little bit of a different way. And then making sure that the community understands how they still play a very important role in helping us succeed, right? Even if we're not currently Mm -hmm. fundraising, sharing the ebook, right? Buying the coffee, um, amplifying just our newsletter, getting other people into this ecosystem is all stuff that's going to help us continue to grow.
0: And I would say that while you just said, you know, something that you need to work on uh, as far as updating investors, I would say that from Bison Venture Partners actually does a pretty good job of keeping us all updated. I think we've received three updates through WeFunder and it's been, you know, we're in the third quarter. So, you know, around one update per quarter is is pretty great um, and pretty standard, I would say. Um, for some of the larger companies that have raised on, on equity crowdfunding. So I wouldn't I wouldn't undercount yourself on on that I one. I appreciate it. And I would say I think it was really interesting to hear about the the pivot slash also diversification. I think that you saw like okay, you know, we're we've got our plan A or or well our plan to achieve plan A, right? Mm-hmm. And thinking about especially in kind of this economy, um you know, in the wake of, of the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, maybe inflation, thinking about different ways to produce revenue. And like you said, recurring revenue, which is always kind of magic to, to every investor's ears, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and multiple streams. So with that, kind of tell me what is the big vision? So I think we've alluded to it a little bit, but I want to hear kind of what is the the, the point where you are going to say, I can sit back, I can relax a little (laughs) bit because we made it. Like this is why I created Bison Venture Partners. What is that big vision?
1: That's a great question. So like part of it for me is I don't envision Bison Venture Partners having an exit. Like I see this as an enterprise that allows us to build generational wealth for ourselves, for our investors and our community. So I see Bison Venture Partners becoming this institution that is around for hundreds of years, right? Like it's going to be here when we're gone type of thing. You know, I definitely want us to hit our goals. I believe that we can reach those goals over the next decade, right? Of supporting those entrepreneurs, helping them secure that capital, creating those jobs and and educating this new community of, of investors. And really like the big win for me is like, okay, yes, hitting hitting that you know decade-long goal but then like being able to see examples of other people who learn from what we're doing and what we did and then doing it themselves mm-hmm. right because that's why like I always give so much credit to Arlen because she just gave us so much knowledge and still share so much knowledge like publicly and freely that it's like like Bison Venture Partners exists because she shared the knowledge and experiences experiences um, that she's had so I'm like, I want, you know, uh, like at Morehouse, they're the Maroon Tigers, right? You're like Tiger Venture Partners, right? Like I want S- like Spelman, like all these different HBCUs, like every, I would love for like every HBCU to like have a group of students who decide to go on and launch their own version of Bison Venture Partners, right? And doing it on their own terms, doing it, like doing whatever model they want to leverage. But, you know, for me, it's just about like impact and like lifting as we climb Right. So being able to look back and see like, oh, wow, we inspired them to, you know, take a shot, to take a bet on themselves and and do it on their own as well.
0: I love that. And I also think of it as, you know, we hear a lot of examples of like Silicon Valley, like there's like the PayPal mafia, right? Um, Mm -hmm. All the companies that came from the original founders or employees of PayPal. There's stories like that for Facebook and for Airbnb, but I think I like yours better.
1: Oh, wow. Wow. Thank you. That's big. (laughs) That is big.
0: PayPal Mafia refers to a group of former PayPal employees that have been so prolific in founding and developing other tech companies like Tesla, LinkedIn, that their social and professional network have actually been renamed the PayPal Mafia. And we're seeing similar innovative high-value networks coming out of Apple and Airbnb, but really nothing like the original.
1: But that, that is really like, that's a model too, that like I've studied myself, right. It's just like how this whole space works. It only works like people in Silicon Valley have only gotten so wealthy because of collaboration. Right. And because of like, they invest in each other. Like it's the same money circulating around and around and growing over time. Like we just need to do that ourselves.
0: And I love that. And that is like why I love equity crowdfunding is because it gives you an opportunity. So say you don't end up having that roommate or you didn't have coffee with that one person who ended up you know, starting that company, but you do know a lot of founders who are raising. You can go and if you don't know the founders you can go and find some founders who you personally support and who are building the companies that you want to be in the world that you are living in, right, rather than yep. kind of handing that decision off to somebody else. So, I'm 100% on board, but I think we already knew that beforehand. <laughs> so, sure. and then just to put just to put kind of like specific numbers. You mentioned this decade long goal, right? So, what are the specific numbers? We've danced around around the jobs, the the supporting um, new investors and businesses, but what are those exact numbers for you? What, what are you shooting for? And I want to say that so that the new majority investor circle can hear those numbers, hear kind of how big they are and align themselves behind that of schools.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, the, the easiest one to align with is, you know, we want to educate 10,000 new angel investors right? So we're doing that through creating this content. We have our own podcast called Around the Herd, which by the way, we need to get you on, um, you know, writing the get VC, right? Like we have these different ways of just educating people on understanding how to think like an investor, how to have ownership in your community, even if you have minimal resources, a hundred dollars to get started, right? So 10,000 new angel investors, we want to help create 1000 new jobs. Like I said, right? Like high quality, high paying jobs, so making sure that people that look like us, this, this community of new majority, you know, founders and investors are able to get quality jobs at the types of companies that we're investing in, mm-hmm. right? The same companies you, you support on a WeFunder or Republic, right? Like, is there a strategy that those founders have in place to make sure that they have a diverse talent pool? Capital, access to capital is the big one. So we want to source $100 million in capital to Black-owned businesses. And we want to do that because we know that there's a racial wealth divide in this country. And the only way that we're going to accelerate equity, right, in our communities is to make sure that the investment capital is available and attainable. So through equity crowdfunding, you know, we want to help Black-owned businesses raise $100 million in in financing. So, you know, we say Black-owned businesses, but that also includes, you know, women-owned businesses. Right, so whether you're a black woman or not, we want to make sure that women have the same access to resources. Uh, but specifically, we want to make sure that we support 1,000 women-owned businesses um, over the next decade as well.
0: Big numbers, big goals, but aim high, right? And aim
1: high. You know, it's like when you hang around wealthy people and learn from wealthy people. Like these numbers are not. You'll learn these numbers are not big, right? These numbers are probably. Uh, we should probably increase um, some of these numbers, but. We believe that they're attainable. And when you look at like, like how culture influences so many things, like looking what Arlen did with her raise, you know, raising $5 million and setting like a new record, right? And other companies, other companies are raising millions, right? With mm-hmm. their campaigns. So 100 million over 10 years, like we can help be a part of that. Absolutely. Especially as equity crowdfunding becomes more popular and more founders start to lean into it and leverage it as a part of their uh, their capital stack.
0: And I guess the follow up question for that is, how are you tracking those? You know, the 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 uh, progress against those numbers. How are you tracking the impact?
1: Yeah, so we directly support right now um, a handful of founders. Right, so there are several founders that were that we've gotten set up on campaigns. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you check out any previous episode of Around the Herd with Bison Venture Partners, uh, we've been interviewing founders that we've also been working with. So HX Innovations is one. They've been set up on WeFunder. Black and Mobile is another. They're set up on WeFunder, currently testing the waters, right? So we have our own sort of internal portfolio of companies that we're, we're working with and, and helping to raise funds. When it comes to our, let's say, like 10,000 know, new investors educated, right? We have our newsletter. We know how many people subscribe to it. We see how many people are engaging with the content, right? Any deal memos we're posting, any... Podcast that they're listening to. Um, So we're able to track that. And like right now we're over a thousand subscribers on a newsletter, right? So we're, you know, getting up there Uh, and we count everybody who's engaging in our, in our content as, you know, uh, people that we're educating and then leveraging other people's technology. Like as investors in WeFunder, we're tracking how much capital the black owned businesses on the platform are raising, the woman owned businesses are raising. So, you know, all of these things allow us to achieve those goals. So realistically, we may achieve our goals within five years and say, you know what? All right, we got to increase them, some of these numbers. Like, is it a billion, right? It might it might be a billion that we need to aim for. But, you know, every day, just, just working hard, working towards, you know, achieving those goals and everything that we do aligns with our mission, our vision, our values. And whether we pay our investors back, like, you know, within a year or within five years, um, I think everyone who's, who did invest in us really did so because of, what we're up to and because of the mission, not necessarily because of the financial incentive alone. But I uh, just the last point on that, I think that we chose the revenue share loan to get started, but um, in the future, definitely want to, to sell equity in the business to have people, you know, invest in it. more of a long-term uh, strategy.
0: I love that. And I think as we close out here, we've touched on this before, but, you know, oftentimes Uh, We think of investors purely from that, that financial perspective. And, you know, a lot of, I think, investors may come to the new majority investor circle thinking about percentages, returns, at the same time, you know, wondering great investors are are ones who think about the financial returns for sure, right? But are also thinking about how they can help get those financial returns, right? So introductions, sharing um, episodes of of your podcast, right? That resonate with them. Buying a bag of coffee, right? And we will certainly be linking to that in the show notes. But with that in mind, kind of what is your ask to the new majority investor circle who did miss out on their chance to... (laughs) to become a part of this, at least last October, you heard it from Gary, maybe there's an opportunity in the future, right? But what is your ask, right? To anyone listening to this podcast who loves your story, loves what Bison Venture Partners is doing, how can they get involved and support?
1: I love that question. You know, I would say like low hanging fruit, you know, please subscribe to our newsletter. <laughs> we are a community of entrepreneurs and investors, right? Like we, we align with the new majorities, um, you know, mission, vision, and values as well. Um, and collectively, I think we can, again, just come together and, and achieve these goals together. But we plan on raising money again, right? So if you do want to be notified when we do, um, certainly our, our newsletter is going to be, be updated first. But, you know, taking us out of the equation, my ask is just, you know, one, get started if you haven't already, right? Make your first investment in a, in a startup, in a small business, and then share that with someone else, right? Like share um, why you invested with someone who's not yet invested in a privately held business. And like, that is how we spread the message, spread the word. Just like so long as we all as individuals are empowering other people to get started and have equity in the space, like that's how it's gonna exponentially grow.
0: I love that. And with that, we're gonna say thank you so much, Gary, for joining us today. We loved highlighting Bison Venture Partners last year, and then you as one of the new majority featured founders. So for New Majority Investor Circle members, you can refresh yourselves on the details of BVPs raised at newmajorityinvest.com. For those who'd like to hear more about Gary and future opportunities to invest in founders like Gary, become a member today. Congrats again to you, Gary, on, on kind of closing that chapter, moving into the next um, and continuing to, uh, to make a lot of progress towards educating 10,000 new angel investors, creating 1,000 new jobs, sourcing 100 million capital to Black-owned businesses and supporting 1,000 women-owned businesses. So we'll have to have you on the podcast a year from now because I have a feeling that we're going to have new goals at that point to be talking about.
1: Hopefully so. All right, looking forward to it. Thank you for having me, McKenzie.
0: If you loved what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast and share with another Angel Curious friend. A big thank you to our Investor Circle members who support our podcast. And if you're not already a member, check out the show notes or go to the newmajorityinvest.com to join today.